From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, co-hosted by Dr. Relly Nadler, that's me, and we have Dr. Kathy Greenberg on the line. We are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, eye-opener and what does that mean, how to unleash your inner power, and what does deficit thinking, how does deficit thinking hold people back. Um, our guest today is going to be Jess Price-Jones, and she's the CEO of eye-opener. We'll get back into um, her bio just shortly. But Kathy and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and pr- provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. Welcome, Kathy. Good morning, Riley. How are you? Things are going uh, pretty well out here in the Good. warm weather. Wanted to say hello to everybody and welcome Jess. Jess, you're on the line. Hi, I'm on the line, Kathy. Really Excellent. Um, coming to us, I guess, from the United Kingdom today. I am indeed. Okay. okay. Well, we're going to be talking to Jess Price-Jones of EyeOpener in just a few minutes, and we know, as Relly started to say, that evidence-based best practices are important to you, and we know that leaders are the heartbeat of the organization, of your organization. And you, like most leaders, often underestimate just how much influence you have over others, and thus, as a leader, your teams may be underperforming. By doing just a few things differently, you can drastically improve your performance and your organization's performance. What you'll learn in these shows are how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, the critical nature of emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies, the whole idea behind brain and neuroscience contributions to top performers, generation and gender differences, which, as you know, is a growing issue in today's world because of the millennials, the boomers, the extras, all working together. We talk about work-life balance practices, strategies for managing your boss, and self-management tools to be your best, plus many more tools and tips. Relly? Yes, before we bring Jess on, we always like to give a little bit of of data uh, about leadership development coaching. We know that you can increase performance by as much as 77% while increasing your life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% with coaching. Both Kathy and I are uh, executive coaches. You can increase profit by creating coaching networks inside your company, usually just in one day. Studies show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. And why do we talk so much about leaders uh, and leadership development news here? Leaders have been documented to have as much as 50 to 70% influence over the climate of, the, of their team. The reason is emotions are contagious, and leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. If the leader is calm, cool, collected, usually the team is, is so. If the leader is agitated, terse, uh, and upset, often the team is that same way. They're the emotional thermostat. 
And the key to being a star performer is someone who performs in the top 10%. And research has shown that that is a series of these emotional intelligence competencies. And as a leader moves up the corporate ladder, 85% of the competencies for success are in emotional intelligence domain. When you compare that to either IQ or their technical expertise, and if we can get leaders into the top 10%, how do you get your B players to be A players? We know that leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And if you add coaching to training, your productivity is going to go up. If you do training alone, research shows there's about a 22% increase. But if you add 101 coaching to that, there is an 88% productivity increase. So, again, what we're looking for uh, is a few of these micro-initiatives that can bring about some macro impact. If you're interested in more leadership and coaching information from Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. And if you're interested in more information uh, about me and emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching boot camps, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com. Kathy? Well, today's guest is Jessica Price-Jones. She's the CEO and co-founder of EyeOpener. Jess is formerly from Rothschilds Bank in Paris, and she has worked internationally all her career and has found that far too many people are deficit thinkers. When people think negatively about new challenges, they hold themselves back from achieving their true potential, says Price-Jones. Today's guest is Jessica Price-Jones, CEO and co-founder of EyeOpener. Jess is formerly of Rothschilds Bank in Paris, and she has worked internationally all her career and has found that far too many people are, well, deficit thinkers. When people think negatively about new challenges, they hold themselves back from achieving their true potential, says Price-Jones. In today's show, the co-founder of EyeOpener shares her secrets to helping individuals, teams, and organizations build on their strengths and develop happier workplaces. Learn how everyone changes and grows, but the secret to maximizing lies in unleashing inner power and formulating practical solutions. We're going to talk about these facts and why so many people are now embracing this message. Jessica coaches senior executives. She's a speaker and is currently writing a book, The Practical Guide to Achieving Happiness at Work. She has degrees in classics and psychology, and she lives in Oxford with her family. Hello, Jess. How are you? I'm really good this morning. Pleasure to be here with you. Well, we're very happy to have you. And we do have some questions for you. Um, hope you're ready. Absolutely. Okay. Rally? Sure. Well, Jess, we want to uh, first start off kind of more general, then we'll get more specific. Um, so who is EyeOpener? EyeOpener is a consultancy that focuses on happiness at work. And we do that working with teams, individuals, and organizations to bring out the best in them and to really leverage happiness because we know from our research it has a direct impact on the bottom line. Okay, and tell me, how did you come up with that name, Eye Opener, to a unique name? We came up with the name Eye Opener entirely by chance, but we know that when people sit and have a real moment with you, they mm-hmm. literally open their eyes wide. And that's when you know, aha, they got it. Uh-huh, that's and they're great. going to go away and do something. So that was how we came up with the name. 
Yes, I I am very fascinated, as you know, uh, with EyeOpener. I should probably let our listening audience know that you and I met a couple of years ago when CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta was doing a special on happiness and your health Mm -hmm. for prime time. And um, it was fascinating to meet you. Why why does EyeOpener focus on happiness at work? Can you talk a little bit about the statistics and some of the science behind your work? Well, we focus on happiness at work because we think that the cart's been put before the horse. If you think about performance, and everybody wants to drive performance, they're focusing on the cart. If you look at the horse, happiness, it's the only way you're going to get there. So you need to train that horse. You need to understand that horse, and that means really working with people. So we know from our research that what makes people happy at work are the things that they can control. And our data is very clearly telling us that leaders need to think about what they can delegate and give to others in order to bring around about this change. And we reckon it's about 78% of organizations that we see that really need to do something about this because it's, it's like the wheel is turning one way at the bottom and turning a different way at the top, but expecting everybody to work together. It just doesn't happen. You know, uh, Jess, this- it's great because both Kathy and I are obviously on top of the research, but you just said that really nicely is that what makes people happy is what they can, what they can control. So yeah. I don't think I've heard it just, just that way. So, so in your organizations, um, how, do you, how do you help them? So both Kathy and I you know about the research, and I think what I haven't heard said just in the way that you said it is that what makes people happy is what they can control. Mm. And so how, how, how do you go about that uh, in organizations to help leaders help people control more? We've developed a really sophisticated questionnaire, and that is entirely based on what people can control in organizations. Mm. So often you see employee engagement surveys or satisfaction surveys, and they're all about elements that nobody can actually do anything about. So it's really typical that people don't get the results from that anytime soon. They might get them a year later, by which time it's all gone. If you focus on what you can do something about, it's very immediate because the leaders of an organization can turn around and go, aha, we can fix that. And if they seem to be doing something, we know that it's the little changes that make the big differences. Mm -hmm. So what can you do to unleash that, make the little changes that are indicative of the bigger ones to come? It's so fascinating for me to hear you talk with so much enthusiasm about what people can actually do that makes a difference. What, what does eye-opener do that makes such a difference that other consultancies haven't managed to practice? What we do is we focus on what people and organizations need to do, but we also look at how. And I think that most consultancies fall down is because they either look at what or they look at how, and they don't pull these things together. So that if you go in and diagnose, okay, we've got a low morale issue here, which, by the way, we'd call you're not happy at work. (laughs) If you've got that, then what are you going to do about it? And when you ask people, they can very easily tell you. So most consultancies just focus on one thing or the other, and we focus on the two together. And I think that people feel our energy and enthusiasm for what we do. And... We seem to generate a lot of success, and I think that that's what 
what's also speaks for itself. So uh, I think a lot of people on the on the line are in some form or another of leadership development. So we know about the employee satisfaction surveys, and and just like you said, Jess, many times people fill those out, they get feedback, and then it sits or so long uh, goes by before anything happens. How do you engage kind of the key leaders in the organization to really be active and act on some of this information? I think you have to think about what are the costs of not acting on information. Uh So that if you know that what is really important, the top factors that we found are people need to feel that they're good at their jobs. And if they don't feel that they're good at their jobs, they're not happy at work. So we're always looking for validation. What do you think of me? And if you get the feedback, oh, you're fine. It's not enough. So you need to have a conversation about that. And if, if an employee is looking to have that conversation and you don't give it, someone starts to feel devalued. And if you feel devalued, you feel demotivated. And the minute you're demotivated, you're not bringing 100% of yourself hmm. into the job. And that's where, where we, we want to come in and say, okay, so you haven't, have you asked? And if you haven't asked, <laughs> number one, go and do it. But if you have asked and you're not getting anything back, go ask again. And many employees think that they have put a message to someone senior and you ask the senior person and they go, no, I haven't heard that. So <laughs> sometimes it's a, it's a failure in communication and sometimes it's a lack of skill. So you need to help people and give them that skill so they can go and do what they need to do. I, I just can't help but thinking, how does somebody find EyeOpener? What, how, how do they know that you exist, and, and what process do they have to go through to get EyeOpener to come in and take a look at their culture and their organization and, and what's, making, what's making them unhappy? Maybe you can talk a little bit about um, some of the work that you've done and, and some of the practices you've used and how people find you. We get most of our work through recommendation, and someone says, work with these guys, they've done a good job for us. But how, what we actually do, we, we encourage people to work with us little by little. Nobody wants to make, in this financially straightened moment, no one wants to make a huge investment. So one of the things that we encourage people to do is to go online and do our survey. And we'd like to encourage listeners to go online and do our survey. If more than 30 people from any organization do the survey, we'll send you a free report. So click on eyeopener.co.uk, do a survey. And that's essentially how we begin our work. We talk to the management team. We share with them what our findings are. And we often run focus groups alongside that to validate what our survey is telling us. And after that... We generally work coaching one or two senior leaders if they decide they want to move ahead in this process. And so when we've done that, we'll work with a leadership team. It might be building their skills and abilities, developing them, and we'll roll that out across an organization. Quite often we help leaders learn to do this stuff themselves because it's not difficult. It's, it's easy if you know how. Well, you know what? We'll come back to Leadership Development News with Jess Price-Jones of EyeOpener in just one minute. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. 
leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Once upon a time there lived three energy hogs. Now an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows! Said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors! Said the second. Let's look for a swing set! Said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadilocks. I hope it has leaky windows! Cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors! Cried the second. I hope it has a bathroom! Cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have... Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and we're interviewing uh, Jess Price-Jones, who is the CEO of uh, EyeOpener. And uh, before the break, we had some questions that we were asking her. And, Kathy, you want to follow up from there? Yeah. Jess, you were talking about um, the the, the practice of helping a few key executives Mm. inside these companies that are trying to improve performance through elevating um, happiness, and mm-hmm. I just want you to talk a little bit more about what do you try to instill in these leaders that they didn't get before Eye Opener showed up on the scene. When we're working with leaders, we often start off with doing strengths inventory. We might do the values in action survey. 
we might get people just a checklist. What am I good at? And then to talk about what they do that is good because you create a whole other energy in a room when you do that. Mostly when we're talking about leadership development, there's a focus on what people can't do, and that is what is very demotivational and creates this deficit thinking that we talk about. And you walk out feeling, damn, I can't do this. And it's also difficult. As you focus on what you can do and what you can influence, it's a magnificent step towards action and towards feeling in control. And that then allows you to leverage off the things that you feel are maybe a shade below a strength and think, okay, in this situation, I know I'm capable, so let's just move sideways into another situation. What do I take out of that? So, for example, I've been working with somebody, and she's incredibly pleasant and delight, delightful to get on with. But it meant for her, what was, what was tricky was giving negative feedback. But she needed to do it because she was in a really key leadership position. And if you don't do it, what happens is people start taking advantage and she just felt that this was something that she couldn't do, except that she could, of course, do it with her two-year-old. <laughs> so what could she take out of when she was with her two-year-old that she could then work with with the team? And she said that it actually was too tough for her, but she imagined me sitting on her shoulder saying, just do it, go on, just do it. And that was what enabled her to start saying to people, this, this what doesn't work for me, and so what are we going to make that works for the pair of us? Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, just a follow-up question on that. When, when you do these strengths inventories, um, is this an eye-opener proprietary tool or do you use um, tools that are available to the general public? We, we would use the Values in Action Survey, which is online and anybody can go to. And the other thing that we do, which if you're a leader, you can do this for yourself, is you can just write a list of all the things that you think are really important inside your business. So that might be listening to people or ensuring everybody gets included or being curious. And you just make a checklist and you can tick. And, uh, am, I, am I really good at this? Am I good at this? Am I so-so? Is this something I, I'm not so great at? And then you can start passing it around a management team and seeing uh, where are we strong, where are we not so strong? What do we need to build? And, and Jess, just to clarify, the values in action, is, is that the, uh, the Seligman Authentic Happiness tool? Absolutely. That's okay. the Seligman Authentic Happiness okay. tool. Okay. So if listeners are interested in that, you can go to AuthenticHappiness.com. Uh, and then so you, you mentioned deficit thinking. Maybe can, uh, can you just explain that a little bit more? I mean, you did give it a brief overview, but just for the listeners who may, that may be a new uh, two words combined, deficit thinking. <laughs> Deficit thinking is all when you're thinking about, I can't, I don't, we can't, we don't have. It's, it's difficult. And so you're setting up a, a mismatch between where you'd like to be and what your skills and abilities and competencies are. And when you look into that hole, it suddenly seems enormous uh -huh. and difficult to leap across. So deficit thinking also means you close down. And there's a lot of research that shows that when you're thinking negatively, you can't be creative. But when you're in a positive frame of mind, mm -hmm. you can be creative. You can come up with solutions. You can problem solve. So one of the things that we want people to get away from is the feeling that I can't and start feeling that I can and I'm on my way to. And so a basic tool for your listeners might be to improve their self-talk mm -hmm. and start telling themselves they can and they're on their way to whatever it is they want to do. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's a... 
a practical matter, don't you think that most people are deficit thinkers? Because I think sometimes people are afraid to be too optimistic. Um, and, and that doesn't only happen at home, but it gets transferred into the workplace. Do you see that? Absolutely. And I think that the more senior you are, the more major wobbles you have. Mm. And you go through something called imposter syndrome, and you think, I, I don't deserve to be in the room mm-hmm. on occasion. And we see that at, at all levels. And it can be really damaging to the team because although you think that thought is hidden, you haven't articulated it, other people do feel it. Rather like you feel someone looking at you in a car next to you at a, a stop junction, you know when someone's looking at you and you turn around and you catch their glance. It's exactly the same in organizations when leaders are thinking those things. We know it. And so that imposter syndrome is... Uh, and inside, they think I'm not enough. Uh, mm-hmm. People are going to see through me. I had an example of an executive I work with that when he was speaking, people had a hard time following him, and instead of stopping and asking and inquiring, he just started talking more. And mm. so kind of you know, used his strength you know, into a weakness and then ended up losing people more. But I think it was that same sense of I'm not connecting but not having the self-awareness to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's an interesting technique which I'm finding that I'm using a lot at the moment, which is when senior leaders, and they want to be inclusive and collaborative, so their hearts are all in the right place. What they do is they make a suggestion pitched as a question instead. So instead of saying, I think we need to hire a new personal assistant for the team, they say, what about if we hire a new PA for the team? Right. And then people don't listen because they think, mm, it's a question. It's, and, and two minutes later, women find this happening to them. Somebody hijacks the idea and says, well, <laughs> let's hire a new PA for the team. Exactly. And it's just that the, the way the suggestion yes. has been pitched in as a question. So sometimes people can derail themselves from very small things. You're saying that one, they derail by asking a question. Because mm-hmm. I imagine sometimes the converse is true, that they should, instead of making a statement, they should ask a question. So it's probably that, that funny balance. Yes. In that, those particular instances, what I'd advise people to do if I was coaching them and I'd observe this behavior, I'd say, make the suggestion and then ask for feedback. Uh-huh. So what do you all think of that idea? Because then you're getting, even if you're going to be shot down in flames, you're getting some acknowledgement that this is your idea and that it belongs to you. Jess, often Relly and I are asked in our coaching work, I'm sure you are too, how do you deal with an individual who is a deficit thinker mm-hmm. and no matter what you do in a meeting to use eye-opener techniques to increase happiness in the group, there's somebody who's always pulling them back. What, what would you advise for someone who's dealing with a deficit thinker? First of all, I would ask them to think about what the effect is on the team. So when you say, yes, but we tried it before and it didn't work, (laughs) that actually, do they want to be positioned in the team as that person? How do they want to be seen? And play back to them some of the words. Sometimes people are really shocked that that's how they're seen. Until you have a conversation with them, they simply don't know. And they think that they're just challenging thought. So the first thing I would do would be to have a conversation with them. 
And the second thing I'd ask them to do is to build on a thought instead. So instead of saying, yes, but, is to say, right, for the duration of the next meeting, what I'd love you to do is to build on whatever anybody says and see how that changes the energy in the room and see how it changes energy for you. Because if you, if you start saying positive things rather than negative things, it does actually shift that. And if the whole team was brought into it, I'd say, ask the team and say, we've been trying something out. What do you notice that's different about this meeting? So that's I would, fascinating. So that's how I would start getting people to think about it without it being too difficult or stressful for the person concerned because we know that one of the top five happiness factors at work is connecting with others and you can't connect if you're constantly pushing someone down rather than pulling them up. Amazing. Well, we'll be right back with Leadership Development News after this message break. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. 
We're talking with uh, Jess Price-Jones. And before the break, she was talking about one of the top five things um, that lead to happiness in the organization is connecting with others. And I wanted to follow up with that, Jess. What, what are the other top four things that lead to happiness in the workplace? Yeah, so connecting with others is, is one of the first ones. And a key tip for knowing whether you're connecting is looking at eye contact. Who's looking at you in a meeting and who isn't? Mm-hmm. Who looks at you to walk down the corridor and who doesn't? The other, the other four are you, you recognize that you fit in an organization and you can feel that pretty quickly. If you're not used to working out whether you fit, we really strongly recommend that you start looking at the values of an organization and your own personal ones, because when they're not aligned, you won't feel that you fit. The third thing is knowing yourself, and you do that by looking at your strengths and what you're good at and whether you get recognition for that from other people, which leads us into the next one, which is you valuing others and being valued at work yourself. And a real strong indicator of that is looking at stolen inventory. The minute that people don't start feeling valued at work Mm. is when computers and projectors walk out the door. So valuing and being valued is really important. And as an experiencing feeling, positive feeling at work, so how often do you feel positive? And we know that when we're asking people, you need to feel 70 to 80% positive at work if you're going to demonstrate all the behaviors that are attached to being happy. Well, you were talking earlier about how you get an organization to begin the process of looking mm-hmm. at strengths, and you said you, you write a list of all the important elements of behavior that you want to measure mm-hmm. that may be your strengths, and then you start with the senior-most leadership um, in the organization, and then you pass it around to see if the people below that level also agree with those mm-hmm. elements of behavior, and then you start to measure them. Mm-hmm. Now, given what you've just said uh, about the importance of the behavioral components, what we call the human flourishing elements of success, how do you measure an overall eye-opener program? How do you know when you've been successful? Because I know from the data that has been shared on eye-opener success that you have increased market share value for companies, um, you have increased the overall happiness of entire communities where your companies that have practiced eye-opener processes, um, you know, are located. So can we talk a little bit more about those success factors because they're, they're pretty big. Yeah, the, uh, the success factors that we always take into account are employee turnover. So if you can say that as a result of your in- interventions, turnover has gone down from 28% to 21%, you've and you can, you can measure that over time, it's, it's very tangible. You have a clear success factor. Intention to quit is uh, another one because the higher, even if people aren't leaving, if they're thinking about leaving, it means that they're only semi-engaged. So you want them wholly engaged. So intention to quit is another really important criteria that we measure. And as is time off sick. So it's really interesting here in the UK, our local council here has got a very high sick rate and and the British police are the same. We know that people who say that they're eight plus on a fact on a scale of naught to ten, eight plus happy at work, take between one and two days off a year, which is unheard of in most organizations. Mm-hmm. 
So we really need to start thinking about what's the financial cost attached to that. It's enormous. If you could reduce people's sick leave, you have an immediate win. That's great. So that's, I imagine, as uh, Kathy said, going in and talking to leaders, if you can talk about some bottom line issues, you know, Mm -hmm. about turnover, sick days, uh, that really gets, gets their attention. I guess, because of course it's very hard to talk about happiness at work. We used to talk about the H word, (laughs) but the minute that you're starting to talk hard numbers, people do pay attention. They really do. It's amazing to me also how you have been able to increase shareholder value. (laughs) It was, we were very fortunate in the organization that we were working with because they were absolutely prepared to take everything on board and do it. What is tough is when you're working with an organization and they don't want to do that. And sometimes we know that we haven't been successful because people won't take on board all the things that we know works. So, for example, if you make people swipe in and swipe out, you'll automatically reduce how happy they feel at work because they don't feel they have control anymore. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is controlling. So you have to be really careful about what you do. But luckily, the questionnaire that we have is very sensitive to change. And when something goes wrong, we can immediately tell. So, Jess, with that, it sounds like you give them the questionnaire numerous times to be able yeah. to see how things are changing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an online survey, and it's proprietary to iOpener. It is. Okay. It's an online survey. We developed this. It was really interesting how we developed it because we didn't develop it with a lot of students. We've developed it with managers. Mm. So it's been developed for the very cohort, the group of people that we want to work with, which I think is quite unusual in research terms. Right, right. And... and um as you're talking, I'm just thinking I have some stereotypes just about, you know, the U.K. and and um, how have they taken just to the word of happiness and, and um, you know, does it seem like it's too soft? I know here in America we still have our challenges also getting organizations to um, to see happiness as a, as a key critical factor in the work world. The first time, really, we went out to sell the concept of happiness, I was thinking, oh, my God, are we really going to be able to say this word? (laughs) And (laughs) uh, I looked at at my partner, Philippa, and I glanced at her as I said it. And then I glanced at the CEO that I was talking to, and his eyebrows shot up into his hairline. (laughs) And then he said, this has been a really interesting meeting, and I would like you, Jess, to stay behind, and everybody else can leave. And he turned to me and he said, you know, I'm so unhappy in my job. I spent every single day thinking, am I going to quit? Wow. I really need you to talk to me about happiness at work because I don't have any. Jeez. So I thought I was going to be hauled across the coals <laughs> talking about it, but I'd really uh-huh. struck a chord there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that, that that is a cultural issue, you know, as uh, Relly was possibly alluding to. Yeah. You know, we, we use the word happiness in the States, as though it's something that everybody engages in. But we know generationally what mm-hmm. makes different generations happy is very specific. What made your grandparents happy won't make you happy. What makes your children happy won't mm-hmm. make you happy. And that um, happiness as a, as a word can sometimes confuse people because if they don't have a culturally specific understanding 
of happiness, they can confuse it with a lot of different words. Satisfaction, enjoyment, bliss, um, health. So it's very important that, that you make that definition clear at the beginning of a program so that people realize that it does have something that can be measured around it. Absolutely. And for us, happiness at work is about focusing the resources that you have as an individual and in your environment to get across the obstacles that you have to get across. Because let's face it, work is all about solving problems. And if you solve those problems, you feel good. And if you can't solve those problems, you feel bad. And as human beings, we're scientists. We like to fix stuff. We like to investigate. And so it's about enabling people to really be able to do that because that's what we all love at the end of the day. So um, I'm not sure if you've talked about this yet, but what, what role does happiness have in an economic downturn in a company's history? Well, right now, I know that a lot of places are feeling the pinch or, or worse than that, and they have to deliver with m- more, with fewer people, and without the added leverage that you get out of bonuses. The, the focus that I would challenge them with and say that you need to deal with now is what's working. Let's look at what's working, <clears throat> and let's not take an internal focus on what's not working because the minute that you start focusing on what's not working, it's really difficult and you start creating the deficit again. Uh-huh. So it's important to galvanize activity around what works, how do we protect market share, how are we going to do more with less, what are we not going to do? And, sorry? So anyway, it's, it's about focusing on what you can again rather than what you can't. And it's key to nurture those vital people who are real doers inside your organization because if you do that, you'll keep them. What's, what's really difficult, and we saw this at the end of the dot-com bubble burst, is that when recession started to end and there was a first sniff of an upturn, key players exited, and that is actually catastrophic at the end of an economic downturn that you lose your your key players, you need to hang on to them. And the way that you do that is by nurturing them, listening to them, incorporating what they, what they think into what you're doing. Well, yes, this is great information. We're going to go to our, our last break. You listen to Leadership Development News, and we're interviewing Jess uh, Price Jones. We'll be right back. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066.
you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're... Uh interviewing Jess Price-Jones, the CEO of iOpener. And, um, Kathy, we had a couple questions that we wanted to, to check in with Jess just around this last segment here. Yeah, I, I just I was really wrenched at the heart by what you were talking about with regard to happiness in an economic downturn because often those people that we really need and really desire to keep have an opportunity to take a walk when the economy comes back, and if they haven't been treated fairly, reasonably, if their personal needs and professional needs haven't been met and their happiness indicators are down, mm-hmm. we're going to lose them. And right now we're going into another economic downturn here in the U.S. Is there or are there any practical suggestions that you can help us to implement to keep those great professionals that we want during a downturn? I think that it's fundamental to nurture your talent in any economic downturn. And if some of that talent has to go, I think that we have a a duty as employers to reach out to people and to help them keep their talents. And so I, I think it's entirely possible to say we can run development and that people who are without jobs can come in and share in this. Because if you're going to be running events, why not? spread the joy. We all need to maintain our reputations in this in difficult times, and that's one way of doing it. And I think that volunteering is another really important thing, and it's, at, it's well known that volunteering increases levels of personal happiness, which obviously will affect the professional. So I'd, I'd say think about what you can do for others. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, that, I think that's good, just that, that aspect of volunteering. I think a lot of organizations 
um, have those as initiatives that get them involved in the community and then, and then bring that back, and I'm sure it raises the happiness of the organization. Mm. Jess, I'd really be curious to know a little bit about you and your background. I'm sure our listeners are eager to know. Who influenced your thinking on leadership? Funnily enough, this is going to sound really cheesy, but way back, 25 years ago, when I was at university, I had to read Aristotle. And I remember sitting in the library crying my little eyes out because I just didn't understand what he was on about. And I read him again five years ago, which is kind of a seminal moment for me. And I thought that, wow, I do now understand that you know, happiness has got something that we need to be revisiting and re-putting back into our organizations. So there was a little bit of Aristotle there, and I think the clincher for me was reading Buckingham and Kaufman's First Break All the Rules. And that just absolutely spoke to my heart, and I thought, that is something that we really need to be paying attention to. So I'd recommend anybody to read First Break All the Rules by Buckingham and Kaufman. And Seligman, Martin Seligman's stuff, Authentic Happiness, is a fabulous Fabulous read, incredible research, and every leader should have had a look at that. It's, it's amazing how sometimes it takes us a couple of years to catch up with all the fabulous publications that are out there, um, and it sometimes takes a bit of a groundswell um, before people adopt some of those processes and practices. Do you think that um, eye-opener has been adopted as broadly as you would like it to be? <laughs> oh, Kathy, what a question. No, I think that there are 99.9% uh, of the organizations that we walk into, we think, wow, they could really do with a lot more of this. And people get stuck in the doing this without taking time to reflect and think, is this what we want to be? And is this how we really maximize the contributions that we're getting from all those talented people in our organization? So, no, I think there's a long way for us to go. So um, there's a couple of other questions. So let's say for our listeners, you know, you, you talked about volunteering. Um, what if, you know, if they're, if they're not really happy themselves or maybe the other scenario, what if one of their coworkers, they're happy, but one of their coworkers is really unhappy? You know, we talked earlier about emotions being contagious. What are, what are some suggestions maybe in those two scenarios? One, if they're not happy. Two, if they have a coworker who's not happy. So some practical suggestions for individuals listening now. Yes. I would, if I had a coworker who wasn't happy, find out why. Maybe there's something you can do about it, and maybe there isn't. And what's important is to establish where your boundaries are. And we can't change the world, but we can help other people change theirs. So find out why would be one one okay. thing, um, I'd ask people if they want a practical suggestion for for increasing happiness is please go on to our website at eyeopener.co.uk and join in our research by clicking on, there's a very obvious research button, and join in. It'll take you five minutes. It won't take you longer. And the other thing that I would think would be really useful for most people to do is to sit down and think. You, you don't compare up what I don't have, but you compare down and compare yourself with people who haven't got what you have, mm. both in terms of your work life, your professional life, and your private life. Because comparing down is a well-known 
builder of happiness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at work. And then another thing that you can do, which is really small, is just think, okay, what could I control? What could I do differently? And even if it's, you know, I'm not going to take a Coke at lunchtime today, I'm going to try water. Is what one new thing that you can do that shows that you're curious about your surroundings, you want to try something else. If you try something small, will lead you to trying something bigger. And who knows where you might go from that. Do you recommend to our listeners that they possibly use a little journal of some kind to track some of these positive thoughts and what they can and can't control and see if they can measure those, even for a short period of time, like a week? Oh, Kathy, I'm so glad you said that. I was thinking, I wonder if that's too big an ask. Absolutely. I Keeping a, a little mini diary, and you can do it on your Outlook calendar, and gauging what you've done and asking yourself, how happy was I overall today at work, naught to 10? And seeing how that correlates with what you're doing. And it gives you a benchmark, and that's what's always useful. Benchmark, and it really helps you if you're setting yourself goals as well. Well, I personally think that when individuals take the time to actually measure what's making them happy or unhappy, they'll find very quickly that they may, in fact, be overplaying the idea of unhappiness. And if they look at what they're actually achieving in a day or even a week, they'll increase their happiness absolutely positively by tracking it and seeing what they've been able to achieve. Because most people, as you say, when they have the opportunity to look at those things that they're doing well and building on their strengths, Mm -hmm. they'll come through and they'll see all the great things that they're doing, not only personally but professionally. Mm -hmm. I'm completely with you on that. And it's really interesting doing it. I, I set myself the challenge of doing it every so often. And it always brings a smile to my face when I look back over the weeks. And I think that's, that's a joy, and I've, I've done that for myself. And it's about what can we do for ourselves. I think one of, one of the things, Jess, that you're saying, just trying something different. One of the things that, that I've done, and I actually I'm, I'm not doing this now currently, but I probably should, is just the idea of taking a risk every day, you know, mm-hmm. something that's, that I just get that little flutter in my stomach and say, oh, this feels like a risk. Oh, maybe that means I should do it. <laughs> and just being able to do that on a daily basis can bring about some of that inertia you're talking about. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you here with us, Jess. We appreciate you coming all the way from the U.K. to be on our show. We're uh, about to say goodbye on Leadership Development News, but our next guest... On our next program will be Mario Musa talking about The Art of Woo with co-author G. Richard Shell. Join us then for Using the Art of Persuasion at Work. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.